computer. All right, we are back. Uh, season three. It's definitely not like a situation where we just run out of ideas and don't do this for six months. I want people to get busy. God damn it. I don't know. Like it's, these are planned absences. These are off seasons. Yeah. Um, well, some big things that you got married. Uh, yes. Yeah. I guess like you're, you're back stateside and we're, yeah. We're, um, you, when I was in Canada, we did a couple. I don't know. I guess we must have done some. Yeah, we did. We did like all the ones this uh, early this year. Yeah, um, season three, I guess, was was Canada side. That's right. Okay, so now we're season four. Shit. I don't, oh, I don't know. Yeah, let's call it season four. Let's do. Um, we're now embarking on a new uh, voyage. We're going to do what might be our first several episode stint, hopefully. Multi-part. Yeah. Um, I'm going to present a thesis to Mike and uh, we're going to actually, I've wanted to do this ever since we started this, this podcast project, Mike, I've been wanting to explain what, what is not politics. In yeah, my it's, <laughs> it's just, it only took us uh, three seasons and like four episodes or however many we've done. <laughs> yeah. To right. get to, <laughs> um, to get to finally explaining the, the name of the show. And concept, at least in my mind. Um, <laughs> uh, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. And uh, I, it needed, it took, it took four years and three episodes to three episodes. germinate in my mind. Um, all right. Okay, great. So, so yeah, this is going to be part one. Part one. Um, so it's not, it's not the not politics thesis program part one. Yeah. So uh, I want to at least make this as like unalienating for people as possible um, by defining uh, in the terms that I think of it, like what what we're talking about when we talk about politics. Yeah, that's when we that's use a good the word idea. Politics. If you're saying something's not politics, presumably you think something else is politics, right? Um, so what is politics? So I I uh, I draw on um, my favorite of these people of the political theorists is Hannah Arendt. Um, probably many people have heard of her. She's like a pretty famous uh, thinker, um, and but there's others, and there's people who's like you know writing or whatever is specifically about um, political theory. And so I want to um, sort of lay out a little bit of what like Arendt talks about in terms of politics and like how, how she would say, say what it is. And, uh, and then maybe we can like kind of touch on a few other ways of, of um, uh, talking about it uh, from people whose like area is political theory. Um, I actually found something very handy. Um, on, I just Googled like, like some crib notes of, of a rent. And there's a paragraph here I'm going to read off of just like bland Google um, that really helps figure out what we're talking about. Okay. Um, so this is a summary of one, like from a summary of one of the chapters of her book, The Human Condition. Um, and The Human Condition is a book in, uh, where she talks about a lot of things. 
And she lays out this idea, uh, it's sort of in, in these three sections of labor is one section, work is another, and then action is another. Um, so I'm gonna read this little paragraph here. I'm quoting from Google something. Um, so in labor work action, we saw the basic distinction between labor work and action. First, labor produces the necessities of life, which are things to be consumed. Uh, second, work produces lasting objects that make up the human world. And third, there's action. The words and deeds that make up the world of interactions between humans. All three human activities are conditioned by the fact that men live together, but only action cannot be imagined outside relations with others. So she's talking about things like labor, which is about getting enough food to eat and air to breathe and water to drink and stuff like that. She's talking about another thing, which is called, she calls work, which is about like the things that we make that are not just to be immediately consumed, the artifacts that we leave behind in the world and show people we were there and what we believed and what kind of people we were. And then she talks about a third category, which is action. And she says that, you know, you can, you can create artifacts, you can create things on your own, right? Like you don't need other people to do it, but that would be something a little bit different. You'd be like, kind of like a God creating a mountain or something. You'd be creating something that was incomprehensible. didn't have any like, you know, kind of social logic to it. It's just this thing. Um, and then labor. Well, you can also just like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I think it like I can also just imagine myself living in the woods and doing those first two things, finding food and like building a little dwelling or something. Right? And that's what she means. Yeah. yeah. She means that, that you don't need um, any kind of context for it. It's like, um, you, you know, you can build a little dwelling or you could like create like a masterpiece. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Like you, you don't need other people, right? Like you, you could still do it. So she's saying that, that there's another category which is just impossible unless you imagine doing it among other people. Yeah, and that's action. Words that's and action. Deeds. Yeah, words and deeds. Yeah. And so for Arendt, the political theorist, right, like action is the center of, of her thought in political theory because although she will you know, also do other work about other stuff, that she won't even say that politi politics is the most important thing, but she will say that action is the like, political... Um, thing that people do right like that makes sense to me right yeah. like that's you know if, if you were going to go aristotelian which is sort of sort of a rent thing right like all yeah. you know not all words and deeds are, are are by themselves political but they all it, it finds its its sort of highest articulation in the political right like that's that's where action really happens because mm -hmm. that's where where people change conditions um through action or through words and deeds, right? For, yeah. for, for everyone together. Yeah, and it's like, it's so, so she kind of sets it up in this, in this way that kind of breathes through those other two concepts of labor okay. and work. And like, and like labor is kind of like her, like, you know, least interesting, she's the least interested in labor. And then work is this thing, which is almost like kind of, um, it changes the game, right? And it, it, people are building this thing uh, to live in, right? And if they're building it together, rather than at, like in isolation, then it is necessarily conditioned by social interaction. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. So, 
what we're talking about, right, uh, when we talk about politics, it can only function in that kind of environment. When, when people have done things that aren't just for the sake of staying alive, um, they're creating lasting things to live inside and to, to live through, right? institutions, uh, buildings, histories, stories and stuff. And, uh, and when they do that, they, they, they can no longer sort of have a, a, an animal life, right? They can't just live to, to, to eat and survive and they can't just live um, to appreciate the thing that they did on their own. Like, I don't know, maybe you can imagine a man, an animal doing that, but like a spider web or something. It's like, <laughs> and they live in a spider web and it's great. But like, you know, she's not talking about that. She's talking about things that you couldn't have done on your own. They don't mean anything to you on your own. They're all, they only mean something in the context of social life, like social so life like, with other people. Like, like, like a church, like a community center? Like, is that, are those the kinds of things that she means for work? Or does she mean like art or both? I think she means a bit of both. Like, I think like, you know, the church aspect of it would be probably resonant for her because there's a religious aspect that's very important, especially she's preoccupied with the ancient Greeks and the ancient Greeks are very religious. Um, so like, you know, of course, you know, church would be one of those things. Uh, community center, somewhere where you gather together. Um, art again, like, you know, you leave monuments to like, um, to show like to sort of like just to, to to embody the kind of world that you and the other people that you live with imagined and created um the the actual artifacts are part of the world of work or homo faber like fabrication right um that she talks about but it's the action that that really matters it's the action so you have like not only so there is a world there and, and it's obvious that people have built it it's not the natural world um but speaking and doing words and deeds right that that's what happens and that's that's action and, and um you uh can only do it because um the materials that have been built by your you know father and grandfather and mother and grandmother and like the people of your community um have like framed your lives and like the, the structures of your life in a way that gives everything kind of more deep meaning. And like, it isn't just about like what apples are available or what like water can be drank, but it's about like, you know, like this building is where so-and-so passed this law or like this field is where we won this battle against the Persians or whatever. Um, and so there's this right. shared sense of like all of this stuff that's happened and it, all, it invests like your current, um, actions with with more meaning like than animals would have um, so that's yeah. the kind of thing that politics like for a theorist like a rent is supposed to be so then so we've got we've got one thing and that's labor and that's just about getting the the bare necessities of, of reproducing oneself mm -hmm. in one's conditions and then you've got work and that's like about so there is one thing I'm a little bit confused about was was whether or not work is conditioned by action, or if uh, if those are, are like two separate spheres of life. Yeah, so going back to that quote, all three of those categories are obviously conditioned by living with other people. Okay. But it's only action that can't be imagined without doing it among other people. So does that mean you can't imagine action without 
well, I mean, obviously you can't imagine action without labor and work then as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's like a little bit less of like a step up a ladder than that, but like it's, it's a little bit more like kind of, you know, it's ambiguous, but, um, but the point is that like, there's only one category among these three that's exceptional to humans. So once you imagine doing the other things, I guess this is my question, like once you imagine doing the other things with other people, does that mean that you require action? Uh, like I can imagine being a hermit in the woods and doing labor and work myself, but the second I have a family, do I have to do action too? No. No. Okay. No, because, uh, so yeah, so family is a kind of a different relationship that doesn't involve politics. Right. Um, so like if animals have families, right? Um, so. Well, I mean, animals have, they have families, but they don't have like the division of labor. Uh, but so they would have like a patriarch. So like, so I think what she describes is a situation in which, um, actually, yeah, I should, I should go into this a little bit. So like, there's a situation in which she says that like, um, violence is justified because of necessity. So like in the world of labor, you need to eat, like you need to create food, right? So it's justified to have a slave and do violence to the slave. And this is in the ancient Greek world. Obviously I'm not advocating this, but like, um, it's, she says like, you know, there's something just that, that justifies that because everybody, like there's a necessity behind it. It's about producing their minimum of life. Okay. Violence is not justified in the political life. It's supposed to be uh, like, it's like uh, violence is pre-political. It, it exists okay. in the world of the family or it exists against barbarians who aren't political people anyway. It's only in the world where you can um, speak and present your, uh, like the, you can disclose something about yourself and your goals and everything and, and uh, um, sort of impress that upon the world of your peers um, in which you, you get to a place where there's something elevated beyond the, the sort of mere violence of daily struggle to survive. Uh, right. So a family is like, a master and slaves. And again, this is the Greek world. It's not our families, but like, um, you know, like the, the children are there to, to do the work that the father tells them. The wife is there to run the household the way the father tell the husband tells her to. Um, so that's the, the, the pre-political world that a rent sees as like, you know, existing before you get to the degree of sophistication that words and deeds are able to negotiate like these other things. And words and deeds don't do anything when it comes to necessity, right? When, it, when, it's, when it's a matter of necessity, when you have to eat, when you have to put a roof over your head, you just listen to the patriarch, he tells you what to do. He whips you if you won't do it, whatever. And then you have survival in the ancient world. For politics, something else happens. And it's, again, it's, so this is a, the, the thing about it, like when you read a rent, it's her great preoccupation with the ancient world and with the Greece and, and that kind of stuff. And when you look at the founders of our current modern politics in like the American Republic and so forth, it's like these are slave owning populations that don't envision this going beyond property owning white males who are aristocrats. Like that's what politics is for. It's for the people that 
whose household is taken care of by a bunch of well, a bunch of slaves who are living fine, don't have anything to worry about by their families and their wives and whatever, who don't have any involvement in politics. After that's taken care of, after there's no more necessity, you can go to the forum, you can go to the polis, you can chat with your other like kind of comfortable, well provided for peers. And you can talk about things that don't come down to just survival, daily life, making food get on the table of the people, right? Right. But also not just art, right? Like also not just different than than in than going to the theater as well, which is also a part of Greek life, right? Yes. It's not just art. It's uh, and and like the art is like the kind of homo faber, like the, the work part in which like, you know, Right. Like one of the things they might talk about is like, should we build a new pillar? I guess Greeks like pillars or whatever, like columns. Should we build another column? Build another pillar? Yeah. Like, I mean, I imagine that's the kind of the thing. That, like, <laughs> kind of a big topic right. of discussion at these polis forums or whatever. Right. Um, but like, but they actually, you know, like they probably debate about whether, like, you know should we invade these people and you know like or yeah. <laughs> should we not like those sorts of things are are presumably yeah the kinds of things that you need to discuss right like how do we deal with the spartans or whatever right like we've just defeated the Arakanes. should we exterminate their entire bloodline right like that or that's like a question for politics right? or whatever right yeah yeah okay or should we exile themistocles like should we deprive him of right. his citizenship you know right 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 um okay. like these are important important questions, questions of, of justice is is basically right. in that sense i guess yeah and and also in terms of um like it's not a matter of survival and necessity at a personal level but it's a matter of advancement of like your city and your political body so like right. if you're going to decide whether or not to like um you know exterminate the Arakadians, it's because you're wondering, like, are the Arakadians, like, going to potentially be an ally one day? Could they be a subservient group? Or are they only ever going to be an enemy? And would it be better if we just didn't, if they just didn't exist? And like, so that's something that like the city can decide and like the group can decide. But it's not about like, you know, nobody's worried about how like the Arakadians impact on their food supply. Like there's always going to be the food supply. Nobody's concerned about that. Your slave will put food on your table. Um, but the, the enemy out there, like that's something for the, for all the like guys with money to decide. Right. Um, anyway, so like, again, like the, the political theorists, they tend to look back at this era, right? Like like for some, for some reason, because I think because Aristotle articulated it so well or something, right. But like, they tend to look back at this era where there was this kind of concentration of um uh, a certain type of person who could debate this type of issue and Arendt's explanation for that is that those people didn't have to worry about putting food on the table they had another section of life for that they call it the private she calls it the private sphere right and then there's this other there's this, this very important very you know precious uh distinct part of life which is the public sphere where these like preeminent citizens come out and they talk about this stuff right okay and they don't fight each other over it like they they use persuasion they disclose their point of view they use you know um techniques of, of obviously 
um, debate, but like, yeah, that's, that's the kind of politics that like she envisions. And I think many other people, uh, many other political theorists envision. Um, so I wanted to start by like laying that part out. Do you, is there, um, is there maybe like any other perhaps more important or more relevant theorists that, that, that talks about that kind of stuff, like the public sphere and the private sphere? I feel like it is talked about by other philosophers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, I, that is a distinction. It must come out of Aristotle, right? Just that like there's your, your home and that's not the same as the realm of, of politics or whatever, right? Like, but, but that's something that, yeah, that goes back a long way, right? That the distinction between running a household is not the same as being a statesman or whatever. Um, but like, you know, there's conflation of those things all the way back as well. But, but um, I think that that makes sense. And, 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 and probably we think of that now too, as being, you know, like the, there's a distinctively modern version of that. Right, which is like the um, realm of public opinion or whatever, right? Where like it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what goes on at home, right? Um, but everybody has a kind of right to an opinion on the matters of the day, and that that opinion ought to be taken seriously, and you know, like open discussion is necessary and you know, uh, we should have the ability to take a kind of disinterested look at issues and say whatever we want and, you know, like a free speech kind of ideal that comes out of that too, right? And like people will say like the most important ingredient of a, a democracy is a free press or something like that, the right. kind of the sentiment yeah. you will say, right? Yeah, and so there's those things that you say in public and that, you know, it's not reducible to the, the who your father was or whatever, right? Yeah. So, but that, that's a distinctively sort of, modern version like the greeks it fucking matters who your father was right and um and stuff doesn't it yeah uh, yes yeah i mean that's part of the yeah um yes the world that's created the world that you have to live in right like the the right. action that you take has to be directly um relevant within the specific world you live in and it's it's literally just a small city like it's a city by name but like in our terms it would be a small town like it's like it's like, like a thousand people at the most yeah like yeah. fifty thousand people or something at most right like um and and all of them have the same few grandparents and whatever um and that's those are the conditions in which politics can exist everybody outside of it is a barbarian they don't speak the same language their words don't mean anything to you their deeds have no relevance to the history that you know so you're a small a small little group of people in a, a wide world of animals and it's it's like relevant to 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 mention the term zoe and bios zoe meaning life like zoological it's z-o-e z-o-e for american listeners <laughs> and uh so it's like a zoo right z-o-o um and bios, unlike biological, it actually is more like biographical. So yeah. it's like the, the life that can have a story behind it. Um, two types of life. There's two types of life that you set up. One is just animal bear life, zoe, and the other is uh, important human life, bios. And for Arendt's Greeks, I don't know if it's true of the real Greeks, but for Arendt's Greeks, the 
the BIOS was, was possible only in your city or however broad your culture went, sure. right? Yeah. Um, everybody else was, was, was an animal and, and they, you couldn't understand them and that was fine. Um, you could kill them. They weren't like subject to your laws, whatever. Um, there was no broad human species. Um, right. So in that sense, and that, those terms come up in a lot of people that talk about politics. Um, Agamben, Foucault. Um, so I think like what I'm trying to get set up here is, is, is another type of that sort of trajectory or theory. Um, but I disagree with all of them. So I'm, I'm trying to like kind of, um, yeah, depart a bit. Um, okay. So yeah. if you could, do you think you could sum up what you think politics is like, so it's, it's, it's not bios. It's like, it's, it's the realm of action. Is that, is that what we're going to say? So I think like, I think that the whole structure is fine that I do like a rent, but I'm not like an arrentist or something, but like, right. Do, but, like, but for the, for the purposes of for the, the purposes of, of the this, thesis, what yeah. politics is, is, is the realm of action words and deeds that, you know, shape reality. Or something. Mm -hmm. So okay. like, much like the way she sets it up, you can't do the words and deeds without a world in common. You need that like fabricated world, the hu world of human beings that existed before you and should exist after. Okay. Um, and then the things that you do inside of that, that are impossible without those other people, right? Like action, the way she defines action, that's, that's the political stuff. Is the ability to, um, like, would you say it's fair that like together affect the future or something like that? Like shape the, the trajectory of the collective history or something? I'll put, a, I'll put it in a different way. It might, it might, might basically mean the same thing, but I'll put it in a different yeah. way. I'll say that like the, um, it's not always possible for everybody in world history to just be doing politics. A lot of times there isn't those conditions that we all share and can negotiate together. Okay. So I think it requires something like metaphysics or something like a shared worldview um, that is like grounded and comprehensible and stable. Um, and if you don't have that, you basically have just bare power relations. You have a struggle for resources and stuff like that. Right. So, um, so in certain moments in history and then, you know, it'd be impossible to actually say exactly when, how long they lasted, but like the ancient Greeks apparently were one, at least for Arendt and other political theorists who th seem to think they're very important, like that, that there was metaphysical consistency there. Everybody believed in the same world and they were able to act within it. And I think when we talk about politics, we have to presuppose that, um, that there is this kind of, uh, this, this thing that has reality beyond like uh, just kind of sensory stimulus, but like that everybody can kind of like read in more deeply to. And uh, that's the like staging ground for politics. But then even if that's true, you can still have some tyrant or whatever who just overruns everybody. Like it doesn't necessarily mean there will just be politics and every action within that kind of metaphysically grounded world will be political action. I don't think that is a given. So, um, so yeah, what I'm trying to describe is like, um, 
you need that <laughs> and like can we see that i don't think we can see that like in, in in the context of politics the way we talk about it today in our lives okay sounds good okay all right so that's politics yeah so like so again we just sort of talked about this like concept that um somebody in the 20th century in germany apparently like extracted by reading about the ancient world right so it's a, a little bit like how much of it do you want to take very seriously or like as historical fact and how much do you think is is basically just only really important in terms of framing and the way we think about um like what we're doing in like our lives that are that is political so just as i kind of summarize it she's talking about um a distinction between like two parts of your life there's like the public part and the private part and the public part has to be grounded in like a, a place or like a, a way of life that's different from your private life um and I want to bring up another uh, person who talks about this same distinction, but I think just really tortures the concept and makes it like meaningless or not meaningless, but like it, it kind of like it, it, it play like it becomes impossible to Who's relate that? back to this. And this is uh, Jurgen Habermas. Apparently, he was okay. hot shit at one point. Um, he's still hot shit. What do you mean? At is one he point? still hot shit? Okay, no, I wouldn't know. I mean, I thought like I thought he had like a kind of a, a cresting of 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 like relevance several decades ago, um, and now maybe not not anymore. But uh, that's not the point. The point is that I don't agree with him. Okay, <laughs> so, uh, you're not a big Hamas guy. Uh, no, not from the. I mean, I guess I should be careful. I I haven't read too much, but from glancing over it, he makes use of this idea of the public sphere again right sure yeah um, and, and specifically what he does is he introduces it as something that he says emerges um in the french enlightenment or i guess in the european enlightenment like not just france but um in the late 1700s um or mid 17 to late 1700s um at the time that many of us probably have been taught our current political modern system emerged in time and place yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and he ties it back to this idea of what he calls the public sphere, which echoes a rent probably came from reading the same books that Arendt read and Aristotle and whatnot. Right. Um, but what he does is, um, he, 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 first of all, he's saying that like it, it emerges uniquely in the, in the enlightenment. So he's sort of saying that this is not the same public sphere that the Greeks, the ancient Greeks had, even though that's clearly drawing on that theory. Um, the other thing that there's a disinterested rationality that's important for Habermas, right? That like to participate in the public sphere, unlike in the Greek sort of conception of public life, where you speak as a representative of a particular family or interest group, and that's in, inseparable from what you're saying, right? For for Habermas, I think the public sphere has to do with being able to take a detached and disinterested position up and sort of look at an issue from angles and positions which you don't necessarily have to commit yourself to so as to be able to suss out what's involved in an issue right and so you're able to to make an argument without committing yourself 
you know, to, to doing violence to one another, basically. I think, I think that's what's different about the public sphere in post-enlightenment for people like Habermas. That's interesting. Does that, okay. does that ring a bell or not? Yeah, no, I think that sounds, that sounds about right. So I'm going to, I'm going to use your expertise on this to kind of like, um, well, try and harass you about it, I guess. But like, I'll, right. I'll, I'll make you my Habermas stand in, I guess. Um, okay. So like the, so the, the, the group of people, I guess, that Habermas refers to as having kind of, uh, Embod- like uh, kind of emerged out of this this public sphere or created it or I'm not sure what the right wording is but like the the community that it represents unlike the Greeks which Arendt is very clear happen you know within a physical city like the Greeks have like it's inseparable that the political or the public sphere for those ancient Greeks is a, like a physical place where everybody lives right and and uh, but more specifically, it's not actually where they live, like their houses are there, but like their houses have like this hidden part, which is private. And then like the front door is like the public facing part. So like you decorate the front of your house and then everybody knows what family you're from or whatever. And then the place where they go and do all their politics and public stuff is like where they put the big pillars and columns and like the flames that no one's ever allowed to burn out. And like all these like kind of um, monumental things that, that um, establish a real world that everybody recognizes as theirs and has uh, and are part of like an, uh, a past and a future that, that contribute to building that world. Right. So right. it's a physical place. And she even talks about a border, like outside the border, the laws are different. Like it's, it's within a perimeter. Um, so what Habermas is talking about in the enlightenment is like almost the picture opposite of that. Right. He's talking about a non-physical political community. Um, they don't exist in the same uh, physical space. And a lot of the times he's talking about people who are known for communicating like in through their use of, of uh, letters and like the, right. um, literature sure. and the development of uh, academia and, um, and uh, the news media too. It seems and like, right. Like, like yeah. um, pamphlets and stuff, newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a prerequisite is clearly literacy which is like extending and becoming more complex in that era. And it's something that when we look back at the enlightenment, we think, okay, well, like obviously this comes from the fact that um, uh, new scientific developments broke out. Uh, more people had access to it. It's no longer just the tiniest fraction of people who are smart, but like, uh, you know, it's, there's a bit more of a knowledge industry starting and, uh, and it, but it, but it is centered around Europe and European culture. And that's why it like sort of um, locates here. And I think the implication um, of all of that is that our politics now are, are, are generated out of this like civilizational moment, right? Where we began to value uh, education that could reach everybody. We began to value um, access to a quality of life that wasn't there for people before or unless they were like the king. So that's this kind of like intelligentsia that, that Habermas imagines is like they're not they're not a physical a political community that gathers and talks about who they're going to fight or what, like what kind of you know justice they're going to execute upon something. They are a, like a cultural uh, intelligentsia and they, and they like spread cosmopolitan values without a cosmopolis, without a city. Right. And you even have people like Kant who like lives in a small town. It's like, it's not even people that live exclusively in the big urban centers. Right. Um, so, I mean, Kant's small town was, 
I could be wrong, but it's, you know, like Athens is exactly a huge city. Okay, well, right, but he wasn't living in like Berlin or Paris or like or whatever right. uh, like uh, yeah. major centers were. He was living in like um, yeah, he's in the up on the parochial or place, Konigsberg or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, the uh, so this this kind of thing that Habermas suggests is like our our uh, the heritage of our like political community of our our sense of the politics now, which he like repurposes this idea of public sphere against the private right is actually not something that happens really in public it's actually oh, interesting. executed through private networks so oh well can i yeah go for it that this is really this is a neat thing but i because i just had this thought like this also goes along with the idea of the sort of cultivated individual right who comes to the 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 world of opinion kind of fully formed and and is able to give voice to uh, you know any old position. Does that make sense? Uh, no, because, go on. Well, like because it's it as you said, it's written it's 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 built around a kind of education that involves going home and reading books, not um, engaging in public life, right? And so you come to public life already with something of a literary background or something like that. Sure, right. Is and so. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So I like, it's just interesting to hear you say it's actually about a certain kind of network because to my ears, it's sort of been, it sounded like it's about sort of like atomic individuals rather than um, a story about, uh, you know, representatives of a community. Does that make sense? I, I think that's right. I think you, I think that we are basically told or we're meant to believe that um, a new type of person forms, right? Right. That uh, can, it uh, has more capacity to become involved in public life than before, but as a result of innovations in the world of basically science and literature and stuff, like you can right. develop the human being into a better rational agent uh, in the late, uh, 18th century than you could a hundred years earlier. Therefore, you get modern politics. Um, right. And you're and, suggesting that, in fact, well, I'm saying something else is the case. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. I'm going to challenge that, uh, like that whole uh, that whole notion that, um, first of all, that that has anything really to do with why Europe becomes the political center of the world from then until now. Um, okay. I think there's another reason that's that's just as compelling. Obviously, they're tied together, but I think that there's another reason that's just as compelling. Not just that, like you know, we invented Europeans invented like you know, rational discussion or something, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get Europe conquering the world. The other probably main narrative is that Europe was the expansionary power at the time, right? That it was uh, for the first time discovering different parts of the globe and so breaking down the barriers of distance um and i want to kind of also i want to put those two like reasons alongside a third reason that i'm going to get to uh, which is sort of the center of what i want to talk about um, so do you want to do the expansionist narrative so we've got the sort of enlightenment narrative covered if we compare it to the idea that you have cities where the cultural elites uh are located along with probably their wealth, like, right? Like in the ancient world, all of those cities had big walls. 
So mm-hmm. probably behind those walls is a the 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 capital that 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 empire had or that um, the power like the regional power had gathered up by beating back its enemies, and also by turning everybody else into subservient agricultural producers for them. But it also was where the elites lived. So they were sitting there behind the walls and the human capital that was required to run the empire was also protected. On the outside of the walls, you have these other people who are not actually politically involved. They don't have any rights. They don't speak their language. And they're assumed to be something similar to like an animal that you can, uh, like you, you, you can deal with it on the level of like, can I, like, do I want to survive against it? Like, that, that's how you can deal with it. You can't deal with it as a political thinking creature. Um, so you're talking about the barbarians, the barbarians, you know, the Persians or right. whatever, right? Okay, got it. Um, so that's that's the classical notion of, of politics. It's a distinct realm behind a wall, right? And all okay. the people living behind the wall are the political people. Um, right. So Habermas is, suge- is suggesting that in the Enlightenment, you get the same uh, achievement of civilization discovering how to do politics but you don't need the wall that contains all of the, all of the elites. It, they have like some kind of thing, some kind of quality um, that they're like getting through learning and through discussing things and bending their brilliant rational minds on things um, that makes them able to unify their purpose from Pennsylvania to Paris to Sweden. Um, So, yeah, so I mean that that is the that is the thing that I start by saying is not politics. He's basically proposing the opposite of the model that existed in the ancient world and that we use to describe the public realm. And he's saying that we get politics without having the city, without having the the elites contained within the city. This like the, our heritage, like the, the political world we live in now. The way that mm-hmm. we understand the entire world basically to be governed uh, okay. according to like, uh, like systems is like that uh, it goes, goes back to that generation of philosophs and cafe people or whatever that he's so right. fond of. Sure. And yeah. they, uh, they basically discovered a way in which they could um, reintroduce the principles of uh, political action into a world where not everybody lived inside the same physical community. So right. that's okay. the idea. Yeah. That's the cosmopolitan ideal that comes out of the enlightenment. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, basically, not so much what produces the material conditions or whatever. Yeah. But like, I think that we're kind of taught, or at least this is like my, my memory of like civics class or whatever, is that like, right. yeah, that, like, that, that's America that it, it's the instantiation of all these values. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, is that and, sort of what you're going to say or not? Yeah, basically. And if you have yeah. like a threat to that, like if you have like some boorish, you know, leader or a, right. a military coup or something, then what we get is the end of that, that political tradition. And, you know, we have to, we have to confront like that some kind of dark Act of barbarism of basically. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and I think, right. So- yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. So that's, that's the narrative of, of the revolutions of the French revolution and the American revolution and to some extent the, the British. Right. And so, 
that's that's what you're saying yeah. i understand okay yeah. that these yeah. states are are you know um imperfect instantiations of this philosophical ideal and that, yeah and and not not all of these theorists admit that they're imperfect i mean the degree to people wank off to the constitution or whatever right sure it, like yeah yeah it's kind of obscene how much people still adhere to that um, kind of version of the story. Um, especially since... I see. Right, okay. Yeah. Go on. Well, just especially since it's, it's, like, it's clearly missing. Like, there's, there's a pretty obvious um, disjuncture there, right? Like, it's not, it's not the same public realm that we read about from the classic history or the history of the classical world. So... And what I was sort of driving at, right, which when I said um, it actually comes from private networks, I think deserves a little bit more discussion. Um, I'll, I'll try, yeah, and, that's, I'll try that's and fair, but do that now, or yeah. should I? Okay. So, so I just want to, can I connect the dot or two just for my own Please do. benefit? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so you have this sort of like, description of the world as being a liberal, like, you know, as a liberal one is one where politics is done in the public sphere, um, meaning out in the open. Right. And that, uh, that's, that's, that's really what's at the core of things like the American constitution, the French revolution, just liberal democracy generally, right. Is that politics is done out and it's transparent and due to our kind of literacy and our, civic education anyone in principle is able of, able to participate able to um you know educate themselves on a topic and and insert themselves into the debate one way or another whether that be through writing press or you know like that's what politics is and that's where it was and that this kind of elimination of that sort of free speech realm right, where politics really happens is a kind of reversion into barbary, right? Like that to leave, you don't leave the city anymore, right? You eliminate the sphere of discourse. And that's, that's what it is to sort of leave the cosmopolitan political scene and go to the, you know, the place where, where decisions are made behind closed doors, where there isn't transparency, where there isn't open consideration and debate on topics of the day or that's 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 the the picture that you'd like to question by pointing at private networks that are in fact not open to everybody is that what is that what you're trying to say right yeah yeah that is what i'm trying okay. to say and and you can also describe it like as a regime i guess is another another very recognizable way that it's been done like habermas says that this, I think his book is called The Emergence of the Bourgeois Public Sphere. So he's right. specifically saying that this is bourgeois culture taking over mm -hmm. leadership of world governance, right? Or, well, right. He's not saying it in that title, I guess, but like he's describing, that's the, that's the culture he's talking about. If you go to your Marxist like narrative of history, it's the bourgeois revolution at the same, that's the time of the bourgeois revolution. Yeah. They, they take over from the feudal era and, and change the method of governing the world basically. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, to your point, like, you know, when you, when you, when you look at an outlier like North Korea or something like that, which everybody agrees um, needs to be condemned for their lack of like all of this stuff, it's because they don't have those things that the bourgeois public sphere, like let right. us believe are necessary. 
Um, or even you don't have to go as far as North Korea, like Russia, China, right? Right. The problem with these places is that they're liberal and they they don't they stifle speech, right? Mm -hmm. They stifle they stifle free discourse. Yeah. So to me, it's just very curious because the the precondition for any kind of public life in the original, well, not in the, I shouldn't say it's original, but in a rent reading is that, mm. um, is that you have the private sphere and that's like animal life. So families are like dictatorships and they have to get everybody to stay alive. So right. there's really no law and there's a lot of violence and there's slaves that do all the work. Right. But what this allows to happen is that some people, the ones who are the head of the household, get to, and, and they, have, they have to be property owners, they get to not worry about those things because somebody else is doing all the work. So there's a producer out there actually making the real economy run. Right. And then as a result of that, as sort of like an outgrowth of it, there are people who just have time to, and, and the right to go and, and do politics actually, like just actually do, like do the stuff yep. and place where they do it is named the polis because it's from the same word as politics, P-O-L, whatever. Um, okay. So yeah. you have like a very clear distinction of how this works. You have the, the world of, of material interests that have to be met and the whole point of getting the guy out of there to go and participate in the forum is that he wants a way, he wants to be just a, a part of his life to be separated from that. Can't have any uh, influence from his private life, his, his uh, material needs when he comes to the debate with the other citizens or uh, yeah, okay. citizens, because that would color his judgment. He has to be free. Everybody has to be free. And for a rent, it's a realm of total equality, right? The people who are there, whatever their wealth, they are equal because they are free from thinking about that, right? And so for that reason, the, there has to be a rigid distinction between private and public. Um, and when you have a, uh, a description of the public realm from the Enlightenment now, in which uh, the avenue for that is not a city state, but uh, private networks that are organized around special interests. So for example, the Royal Society is like probably a, a seminal example of, of the, the bourgeois public sphere that um, Habermas describes. It's basically one of the first think tanks. It's, it's an, uh, a, um, network of originally like 40 guys, like people like Isaac Newton and whatever. And eventually it gets uh, a charter from the government to spend money, but basically they're just sharing their research. And then uh, there's like, I think Habermas even talks about like the, um, the Republic of Letters or whatever it's called. It's like this snooty yeah. name uh, where like people like Voltaire or Gibbons and Frederick the Great or whatever will just change, exchange letters and they get really like, they're really pretentious about like how you write a nice letter and like they come up with like seals and stuff so that like th nobody can plagiarize from them. Like a part of what they're trying to do is just like lay claim to their, their own statements and their own works so that when it gets out there to the reading public, which is all just private individuals at this point, um, 
they everybody knows that this is their shit, right? That I wrote this. What puts the lie to this whole narrative is that again, it's still a very small group, right? Like okay. this isn't something that's going to um, absorb mass humanity, or mass the mass public. It's and they're just sharing it with each other. They're writing it in uh, a form that's going to appeal to themselves and their their friends. They there's like a thing that happened. Apparently, I was reading a little bit about this. Um, originally, they all had to read Latin in order to be able to exchange letters with each other. Um, but at a certain point in like the 1700s, the French became more common. That was partly because of like for political reasons and, and right. like social dominance of uh, cultural dominance of France. But it kind of changed the game because it moved it away from people who had been educated in religious universities and stuff like that. And it sort of just indicated a cultural shift that there was like this vernacular language. It was no longer about perfecting like the written word, but it was about disseminating this stuff. But you can see like from that, like, you know, this isn't like something like how many people would really, uh, like, you know, outside of France, how many people would really know how to read French? You'd have to want to, right? You'd have to want to learn how to know what this, what, what is here. Um, so that's sort of what I mean by it's not um, comparable really to a physical public space in which there's like a, an inherent community behind a wall and the, the like Republic of Letters or like the Royal Society, the way that their, um, that their connections look in terms of like dissidents corresponding from their like swanky salons and stuff across borders with their like little coded letters. It doesn't seem like a open I see. civic community. Right. That seems like a it's... network of, of individuals who, who live very just different lives from the majority of the population. Right. Yes. And it's bourgeois. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Um, but bourgeois and private. That's, that's the, the word I want to use for it. It's not like... Okay. Um, All right. So what's, what is the importance of the word private then, the way you're using it? Like that seems like important. Yeah. So um, let's go back and think about the city-state as the embodiment of the public realm. And obviously there's something else. There's the private realm that it somehow exists beneath or within the city-state, but it's not what we think of the city state, the polis, whatever. What, so in the non Greek example, like in the modern world, there are, we don't really have city states unless you pick out a few examples, we have something different and it's, we call normally the state or the nation state, right? So what the bourgeois, like kind of, you know, revolution, uh, in that Habermas is, is, um, celebrating what it emerges out of uh, with respect to the state is not uh, compatible or friendly at all, right? So the, um, the people who emerge as this kind of public, this new kind of public, this but transcendent, like kind of, you know, non-physically non oriented network public that he talks about with the, with the like Republic of letters and stuff like that. Um, they are 
in a lot of cases, not in the, not in Newton's era necessarily, but like in the 1700s, they're dissidents, they're anti-state, they're, they're op opponents of the states, right? So you have like the, the people that will become the French revolutionaries or inspire them who are deists and anti-monarchists uh, in some cases um, who oppose like uh, uh, the like theocratic um, influence or uh, I guess church influence on state affairs um, who are critical of the way the regime handles state finances, uh, the way it executes wars. Um, the, you know, the examples of all these, these kind of, um, kind of heroes of the, the early, of the enlightenment bourgeois are basically critics of, um, the existing regime and the actual structure of power of governance. So mm -hmm. you have in that example, in that era, you have a private realm in which you can, in which you're, I mean, it's illegal to say anything against the state, but you can discuss like uh, your critiques or your complaints about the state behind the veneer of your kind of cultural uh, things, that, things that aren't penetrated necessarily by uh, the police or whatever, right? So you can send letters across borders where you can share with your friends what you think the king does that's stupid. It's right. like that, so that so so it it's I see it's private in That's that sense. That's the model sense. then, yeah. right? It's private in that sense because it's it's there's a, a rigid distinction between public life and the way that these people are conducting their uh, their discussions. So yeah, okay. on the one hand, um, it's private in the sense that like yes, I do think that it's very telling that these are networks set up like as corporations as um as kind of university uh like public like publishing uh, networks and things like that that are not state run uh, right. that are privately run in their private interest and they talk about the, and, and they further their own private interest they you know they discuss stuff to do with global trade they discuss stuff to do with industry um and they have networks like you know like the masonic lodges come out of this like this kind of global networks of people who like share secret handshakes but but are actually doing like normal stuff um, but they have to do it separately from the public realm. They can't, they can't do that kind of stuff. Um, they can't have those kind of conversations and they can't uh, expose their networks with each other to their governments because their governments have um, alienated that kind of uh, open discussion, right? So the model that they develop in order to um, it, within which they're going to uh, conduct their activity, right, is a privately based model. It's outside of the public realm. Right. I, I think that, like, uh, is a, it, it's completely distinct from the idea of there's a city-state where it's actually part of the structure of it that um, the, that the 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 citizens who have the means to to exist in public to have a public life are drawn out of their private lives and begin to act as a political body whereas in this bourgeois model it's they separate themselves out of the public sphere and conduct their business uh kind of in secret amongst each other not really in secret i guess because they are obviously publishing things and trying to spread the 
like disseminate this kind of like culture and this knowledge, but it's, it's, it's gotta be done uh, outside of legitimate form. So it's not the same as standing up in court and saying, fuck the king or whatever. Right. right. Like, it, it's, it, it's written under a pseudonym or in partly in the form of a satire or. So, yeah, this is not politics. This is, this is basically um, what this looks like is a quite romantic and to our values, very important movement that basically opposed itself to the existing structure of power. But it didn't do so with the uh, intention to engage with it in, within, uh, like within legitimate forums. It was trying to maintain its position outside of the state and then kind of influence the state and influence world affairs without the constrictions of public life. Right. So it's um, actually, are what you're saying, like this is actually kind of illiberal, like it's, it's the imposition from without a kind of, like it's actually a kind of power play by a certain protected class on, on public affairs from without rather than a replacement of public affairs by a new form of politics. Yes. I okay. would like, so I would describe it as anti-politics. Like I think it's, okay. it's so like Arendt and Foucault and people like that are called post-political or whatever, because they, they describe this idea that like there was politics and then like, you know, somehow it all fell apart. And, and we now live in just a world of like kind of masses, like not real political subjects, but like, ma like demographic masses that can be okay. influenced and pushed around and kind of things can just, like they can get whipped up into a, like a populist fury and, and create a Holocaust or something. Right. And we're in a state of like sort of the, a post decline state where, you know, for some of them, it like, it never happened. Like for a rent, I, I get the sense that she doesn't think the nation state was like a resurgence of the politics of the classical world. She thinks it's only been downhill since 2000 BC or whatever, I guess 400. Right. BC. And then Habermas, I think tells us that, um, you know, there was a, a period where the public sphere predominated and then society took over again and it declined again. So there's this like sense that, um, that like in post politics, like that you could have, like you could have just held together like the true principles and like just held on to them. Um, you know, if you were proper fucking people, like if you, like if you weren't just an embarrassment, um, then the American Republic and the values for which it stands would be a guiding light for the world. And the French Revolution would be carried out by all these like wonderful citoyens until the end of time. But we're not worthy of it. We've fucked it all up and we, you know, um, we didn't maintain like the level of civilizational achievement that, that was required. And it's like, it's, it's a sentiment that's like, um, that animates like the, like the crazy all right people too. Like they're always talking about like, well, like Bronze Age Absolutely. pervert is talking yeah. about like, you know, Thermopylae and whatever is like, was like sure. the great achievements, you know, yeah. like the people with Greek statue avatars in their um, Twitter feeds and stuff. So right. I, uh, I think that there's like a, a bit of like a sense of, um, uh, this narrative is a false narrative. Is that like, like the myth of the lost, 
the lost past basically is a little bit uh, questionable as, as such myths often are. Is that, is that sort of what you're saying? Yes. That, and, uh, that, and that this runs through a kind of, you know, it's not quite left, but, but, but it's almost like a centrist position, right? That like, you know, if we could just hold ourselves to the ideals of our, of our ancestors, be they Greek or, or uh, revolutionary, what do you call it? Enlightenment people. Yeah, philosophes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That nostalgic kind of move is, is itself anti-political? Um, I think the idea of post-politics is just, it, like, it, it, it engenders a bit of despair and it's incorrect. I think that okay. the idea of, like, you know, we've, we're, we were at the high point and, like, fell down from it. Um, obviously, it's attractive because we like to read the old books. Like we, we, we read it and we oh, think, yeah. well, that's, that's inspirational. Um, you know, it's too bad that because of all the chuds around, like I can never live in that world. Um, I think there's a, like the, the point about talking about how the, you know, the bourgeois revolution was really an, uh, a conspiratorial um, approach to the state and a, a positioning against legitimate government. Um, I think it proves that like, we're not just accidentally fallen. We've been prevented from getting anything going ever since. Um, I think that it's like, it's part of the ideology and part of the uh, just general procedure of power to uh, constrain anything that would approach real um, like public life for anyone who could do anything with it. Um, and we've seen like movements in within that sphere of time, like with uh, since the enlightenment that were like legitimately looked like they could be that. And probably at least at some point within some definition, like was real public life, right. was real politics, but there was real politics for my, for yeah. Moments. Like, you know, like the 19, 1848 revolutionaries sure. were probably right. something like that. The labor movement in the U S in the twenties and thirties, like, there's times when people recognize their um, their position within like the kind of like the within the sphere of public life as like potential actors, and they try to in, like imp impose it and make it part of part of the legitimate sphere of like governance and and le you know legal affairs and things like that. But there was always a more powerful faction working against that being possible. And I think that's the legacy of the Enlightenment and the bourgeois revolution is that like it's created a structure in which trying to do that, trying to enter in from sure. uh, a position of, I guess, uh, structural weakness, but demographic and, 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 uh, and just like the reality of like material reality. Um, there are those factions, there are those groups that, that uh, you know, naturally could break in but they're always fighting like a system that, that considers that a threat and, and antithetical to its aims. Um, and the system is itself a kind of faction that presents itself as a marketplace of ideas or something. Like, is, is that fair to say? Like, if you think of the, the network of letters, I'm holding my fist up as an, as an example of like a planet or something, right? And you think like, that's, that is the network of ideas, right? And it presents itself as a place that we can all live together 
or the sort of the network of letter writers to one another, the public spirit. It presents itself as a place that we can all kind of live together. And if you want to do politics, just come on in and present your ideas and we'll weigh them disinterestedly and so on and so forth. But in fact, what it is, is a fist that that moves among other fists, <laughs> right? Like the, the labor union, the labor movement, the 1848. And like in that realm where the fists come together is the political realm. But the interior of the fist, the, you know, the so-called public sphere is in fact anti-political. Is that sort of what you're saying? Like it's a, it's a place that you, you know, that good ideas go to die basically because they become disinterested positions that anyone could take up for us for a minute and rather than an actual political force that counters power. Is that? Well, I'll go you one further. So what you just said there about like, you know, it's like it presents itself as like a network of ideas, right? Sure. Um, as you know, as though, right, like something really changed and it's no longer right. about scrabbling for survival and just being some like dumb pawn, right? Like you're, you're actually, you can, you can join the, like the, the, the progress of history with your, by, by just be getting like, you know, better educated. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a theory. And I think we'll probably get into it next week, but I'll present it now. Right. Okay. Um, and that Teaser. is that not, it's not the emergence of, of, of like the network of bourgeois smarty pants that sets enlightenment Europe apart. It's actually, and this is not untrue. Like I've, I've looked this up. The, for the first time in, world history during that same generation europe becomes or europe balances and overcomes asia in its long-running trade deficit so oh no it's not <laughs> trade so, deficit yeah okay. so it's not so much uh as an achievement of the intellect or whatever but a boring old material relationship and finally leveled out in favor of Europe. And just dun, like every, dun, dun. Okay. every other thing that, you know, we look on the news, when we watch the news or whatever, we see things come down to geopolitics, economy, boring old power. It's the same shit. And so this regime that's been presenting itself as the reemergence of the public sphere and the uh, you know, first time achievement of a, of a truly cosmopolitan universal principle is really just the kind of upper echelon of finance managers expressing their culture as that and then maintaining their power over the next 300 years. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a sort of a historical narrative that I think we have to hit beat by beat and we've already been talking for a while. So part two, we'll do, we'll deal with that. What do you think? Sounds good.